got an attitude now. What? What else do you have to say? You got something else to say to me? What? He's mad that you gave him a bad haircut. What's up, guys? You're listening to Drunken Uncultured. As always, we are a drinking problem masquerading as a podcast. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Lindsay. And we are here to steal your bitch. (laughs) No, we're not. Miss Steal Your Girl. (laughs) Um, So, it is the week that is my turn. It is your turn to discuss... This is the week that is my turn to do this discussion that I do. <laughs> Purge style. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're um, here for Lindsay's binge watch update. This is actually something that Stephanie's also kind of binge watching right now. Yeah. We started watching Letter Kenny the other day. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so Letter good. Letter Kenny is so good. We were going to see a show and I was at your apartment drinking. Yep. And <laughs> As we do. As per usual. Per huge. Um, and you were watching Letter Kenny. You were on the second episode, and I had watched one episode previously. Yeah. yeah. And I think we watched like an entire season and a half. <laughs> we watched a season and a half in a and, two and a half hour Yeah, setting. so the episodes are about 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to describe what it is other than like trashy Canadian rednecks. So, but, like, the, it's almost meant to be. It's a parody. Yeah, it's like a parody, of, it's like a mockumentary. Yeah. Almost, because they go to, like, one-off people, like, yeah, they discussing do, like, the overview, like, a problem that happened, yeah. and then it's, like, the whatever happened. Yep, I would say that. Um, I would say it's on par with Parks and Rec. Oh, I think Maybe it's a little so bit better funny. than Parks and Rec. Um, yeah, they have a ton of ongoing jokes. There's at least two, I think, that come up every yeah. episode. Um, and then just, like... It's they just, yeah. They just, yeah. It's, it's a really funny a fun show. show. And it's like, it's very, very short. I would say check it out if you have a spare, like, hour and can watch, like, three episodes at once. Yeah, really, for if you sure. have 20 minutes, just watch it. Yeah. Um, it gets very, like, it, it's, it builds, but it also it catches you pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's on Hulu. Yes. But I don't know the name of the Canadian TV channel it's on, because it is technically a Canadian TV show, but if you have Hulu, you can find it. Yeah, just watch it on Hulu. Anyways, let's get into the episode. Yep. So, after that shot of Malort, uh, Steph, what are we drinking? Today, we are drinking a coffee porter from Cellar Maker Brewing Company. This beer is called Mocha and Cigarettes. So, we got this um, in San Francisco on podcation number three. Yep. Uh, we both had it before and we really liked it. And by we had it before, I mean we had it on vacation. So yeah, we, we had it. it. Oof, we drank a lot at Cellar Maker. We did. Um, we had it there and liked it so much. We got a crowler. Yes, we did. Um, and then I'm going to just quickly apologize if you can hear Lupin in the background. Um, I gave him a haircut today. It's not very good, um, but he has a lot of energy right now. He's got a weird amount of energy. He's in some kind of weird mood yeah, right now. Yeah, he's very playful, which is weird for him because he usually just hangs out. Yeah. Um, so if you can hear him, I apologize. Um, Taint nothing I can do about that. He's got a mind of his own. He is a living animal, so yes. Yes. Okay. So, we're going to try this beer. Yes. We, we haven't had it in... Three weeks? Two weeks? Something like that. Yeah. Two weeks. 
All right, so we are going to taste this again. Give me three words. I'm afraid it's a, it looks a little flat. It looks a lot flat, but it smells like heaven, so. It does not smell like cigarettes. It smells like... Mocha. Mocha. And smoky. It's, got, it's a smoked porter, yeah. so it smells... That's why they call it mocha and cigarettes, because it smells like chocolate and a smoked yeah. porter. All right. Cheers. Um, <laughs> I understand. I love that we're like, it doesn't taste like cigarettes. But it tastes like how cigarettes smell. Which I is feel like weird. that's worse. No, I see. I oh no, I'd rather smoke a cigarette than smell a cigarette. That yeah, was a, that was a bad word choice. It tastes like a cigarette almost though, but like not a bad. Not like the. the, the it tastes the, like tobacco. Yeah, that's a better phrasing. So it doesn't taste like a nicotine. The nicotine aspect of no. a cigarette. It tastes like, like the tobacco yeah. smokiness. Yep. It's very milky. Mm-hmm. Malty? I think most porters are a little bit malty. I think it's the malt in it makes it the smoky flavor. I think so, too. It almost tastes a little sweet, too. Well, yeah, it's the chocolate. Right. Well, then also kind of the malt. Um, so I'm going to say, can we, we can't use mocha in cigarettes. We can't use mocha <laughs> or cigarettes. <clears throat> All right, so malty. Can you taste thick? Can you taste thick? I think it's a thicker. It's like flavor. a mouth it's, body it's a, feel. Yeah, like it's got that mouth body like thickness where like it's on your tongue and it like you can it kind feel of, like it. sits there yeah. like, even after we've been drinking yeah. it. Like I can still feel it on my tongue because it's that mouth feel. I hate that word, but that's what it is. So I want to say that like. It's a super smooth and full flavor. Yes. There's a lot of... So that's one. Is it smooth and full? There's a lot of depth to the flavor because obviously you get the... You get the mocha. The, smo- the you mocha. Get the you get the smoke and you... You get some malt. You get... Yeah. You get, yeah. So it's like a super full depth of flavor. I, I almost was, get like a tartness to it. Like not like a sourness. Like get like, the... like last taste yeah and the it. last note like if you hold it in your mouth it kind of makes my cheeks like pull in a little bit like a tart flavor would yeah i get that it's not sour by any means but like it just gives you that same like, it's like a nice little like almost like a sweetness tartness kind of thing yeah like a sweet tart i was gonna <laughs> say sweet tart i was like that makes no sense we're describing um, <laughs> a smoked coffee beer yeah but i think that adds to like the depth of flavor yeah, I do too. I don't know that we said three words, but that's where we're going to go with. We're going to go with that, because there's too many words to describe this beer, and honestly, the three top words are coffee, smoky, chocolate. So, so now that I've talked about the beer for an uncomfortable amount of time... <laughs> and uh, struggled to figure out how to describe the beer. Yeah. At least our beer tastes the same this time. And just oh, like, yeah, that's fair. At least you're not tasting caramel and I'm tasting coconut. Coconut? Yeah. Because our beers tasted totally different yes. last episode. Um, yeah, so let's get into this episode. So, obviously, part two of Women's Month. Yes. Here. Yes. Um, and, of course, as feminists and women, we are talking about women. <laughs> We're always talking about women. Um, so this episode is um, kind of surrounded by two of our other favorite things. So like last episode we did murderers and women. Murderers. Violent yeah. shit. 
Um, this one we're talking about horror movies and Which women in horror movies, specifically yes. um, the term Scream Queen. Yeah. So this episode is going to be all about Scream Queens. Which we thought would be super fun because what's better than combining our love of supporting women and making other women feel amazing and building each other up? Yep. Um, then talking and about horror. Yeah. So the first thing I think we're going to do is get into what a scream queen is. Yes. So, I mean, the term's kind of all over the place, but we're going to try and give a little bit of history as to where the term comes from. Yes. Um, so I found this book called Historical Dictionary of Horror Cinema. Um, and it defines, I actually want to buy this. It's $17, so mm, for an ebook, Maybe not. <laughs> Never mind. So it, um, it says that the term Scream Queen has been used to refer to female protagonists in horror cinemas and it denotes a distinctive function for them, namely to scream and be victimized and terrorized. Um, it's most evident in horror movies from the 1930s to the 1960s when the role of the heroine is often to be rescued by a male suitor. Um, so at this point, you kind of think about the women screaming in terror um, throughout the history of horror. So um, from there, there was the... I would say development. Yeah, the development of the final girl figure in slasher films from the late 1970s um, through today. And that kind of, like, changed the term Scream Queen to be less of, like, the victim into being more of the protagonist. So here it says screaming still evident, but it's usually accompanied by physical resistance to assault um, from the woman herself, and male rescuers are more rare these days. And um, this is a really interesting point that they make, and I'm going to read it verbatim because I think it's really relevant. Uh, It says, Some critics and filmmakers have suggested that it is easier in our culture to produce the sort of fear that horror films want to instill in audiences, male and female, via the figure of a woman on the screen. Whether or not this is the case, the term Scream Queen still has some resonance for horror. So, I mean, we'll talk about famous Scream Queens, but, um, I mean, if you want to go into it. Yeah, so... I mean, obviously the term Scream Queen comes from the term uh, Screen Queen, which was bigger in, like, the early days of cinema. So yeah, like, black think and white 20s, 30s. Yeah. Black and white films. Um, obviously, the Scream Queen is... It started anyways. I mean, like, obviously, like you said, it kind of evolved over time. But when it started, um, it was it was the damsel in distress. Right. Like, that's where a lot of that, that trope yeah, kind I mean, of built into these She films. was there for, like, eye candy, quote unquote, like, supposedly. Yeah, and she was there to make the, I don't know, give someone, like, something nice to look at, someone, something attainable. Well, something that the hero could save. Right. So that he wasn't just fighting for himself, he was fighting for something else. Yeah. And, of course, at that time, it was always a woman. There, there was never just fighting for yourself kind of deal. Yeah. Um, so, according to Debbie Rokan, uh, she is pretty big in, like, the B-horror movie world of the last 15, 20 years. Okay. Um, she has said that a true scream queen isn't meant to be the perfect woman. Yes, she's sexy and seductive, but most importantly, she's attainable. To the average guy, or like she comes off that way. Okay. So if you think about like 
all the horror movies you've seen that have like a big time scream queen and that even applies to the initial final girl yeah. kind of concept is they're not always portrayed as like the suit we'll come in i think we'll come full circle back to this discussion point in a little bit but they're not always portrayed as like the sexy hot woman they're more kind of like a girl next door mm-hmm. kind of deal yeah She's like the. She's attainable to the average. I think guy. attainable is probably the best word yeah. to use. Yeah. Be- I mean, we talked about this in, I think, our actual Halloween episodes, where we mentioned that, like, the trope is that you're, like, virginal or yeah. um, you're, like, the cute girl or, like, you're not the hottest girl because the hottest girl dies. Yeah. Because she's the hottest typically girl. And that's the trope. Right. And um, she's having sex somewhere right. and gets killed while having right. sex. This is like the, av- not the average girl, but like the above average girl. Yeah. I would say. Sure. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So let's kind of quickly give a timeline. Um, we'll discuss two of the most, I think, prolific scream queens yep. that kind of brought us into where we are now. Yeah. And then we'll give a quick overview of kind of how things happened and then we'll move into some chat about our favorite scream queens. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. So I think the most well one of the most well known and the first scream queen of a talking film is Faye Ray. Yes. So she was the female lead in King Kong in nineteen thirty three. She was just, like, at that time, she was super hot, and she was the woman that needed to be saved from the giant monster. Yes. Um, so that was 1933, and I think that was just, she. I think she's the most well-known because that's the first horror talkie film. Yeah. Um, so after that, we get to Barbara Steele, who was well-known for her work on, like, Italian horror and, like, gothic horror in the 1960s. Um, she's most well known for her character in the film called Black Sunday, which is a staple gothic horror film. It's about witchcraft and fun stuff along those lines. Um, she actually not only played the damsel in distress, but she also played the main villain. Okay. She played two characters in the film. Got it. One was like a witch that was killed and then came back to life to torment this family. And then she played, like, the damsel who was being tormented by the spirit. Got it. So she's probably, as far as my research has shown, she's the first woman to play, like, the horror villain. That's interesting, actually. Um, Which we're seeing a lot more these days is that... That's pretty common more nowadays than it was, obviously, in the 1960s. But she's also been in films like uh, The Horrible Dr. Hitchcock... The Long Hair of Death. She was in a a film based on Ed, some Edgar Allan Poe stories. She's been in a lot of horror since... I mean, her start was in 1960, and she's been in movies... The most recent horror movie she was in was... 2012, 2014, oh, wow. something around there. So she's in her 80s. So yeah. she's still, she's not playing the main characters anymore. I mean, she's still in it, though. But she's still in it. Yeah. Which is super important. Next, we're going to go into, so we saw the 60s was the start of the gothic horror. 
And then in the 1970s is when in America for the first time, we started to see recurring actresses in different horror movies. And so that's where we get people like Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. I mean, Halloween came out in 79. Yeah. These same actresses are playing Throughout. in different film oh, franchises got it, got it. as well. Um, and then the 1980s, we get who is called the first male scream queen. <laughs> and that's where we get Bruce it's Campbell. It's your boy. It's your boy. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> and that's where we get the Evil Dead series. And I think because of his over-the-top reactions in Evil Dead, Absolutely. that's why they call him a Absolutely. male scream queen, which is a terrible phrasing. But I did not I come like up that, with that. No, I mean, I think it's... I think it's... It's interesting. Very on point for how I would describe his character in Absolutely. the Evil Dead movies. Absolutely. And then when we get into like the 1990s and even into today... And we had seen it previously, but I think it's more prevalent now than it had been ever before. Yep. The quote-unquote scream queens are the heroes of the story, or they're the antagonists. Yes. It's they're we, no you almost like a side never character. see these kinds of characters, like the, the original yeah. damsel in distress scream queen. You don't see a Faye Ray type King Kong character in modern day cinema. Yep. Um. And based on what I was made a note that, like, you know, based on what you think a Scream Queen would be defined, based on the, you know, definition, mm-hmm. um, it's weird to see the kind of actresses in that we see on TV today. They're called Scream Queens still, but, you know, based on the historical definition right. of them, they're not How the same. It's changed over and time. And it's changed so drastically. Yeah. I mean, to the point where... We even have a TV show now yes. called, well, not anymore, but we had, we had a TV, a show, TV called... show called Scream Queens that was meant to poke fun at the yes. entire concept <coughs> of the Scream Queen. Yeah, so that TV show was um, created by Ryan Murphy. Who, who did American Horror Story and Glee. Yes. Um, so I think the biggest thing for that to, to note is that Jamie Lee Curtis is in that show. Um, yeah. It features an ensemble cast, so we have Jamie Lee Curtis, Emma Roberts, who are both well, Emma I would Roberts say Emma has, Roberts has become a modern day exactly. scream queen due to her role in the yep. horror world. And then we have Leah Michelle, Kiki Palmer, John Stamos, Taylor Lautner. <laughs> Wait, Lattner, I'm Ron sorry. Ray. Back up a second. Taylor Lautner was in... He's in the second season. Oof. Um, okay. Nick Jonas is in this. Uh, essentially, the show, just to go quickly into this, uh, the characters are thrown into settings and tropes of... And they are tropes of classic it's horror. It's literally films. just meant to be like a... It's a parody. Big parody yes. of horror. Yeah, so it's a parody. Um, like, Emma Roberts plays, like... She's like a bitchy sorority yeah, girl. Yeah, she is a bitchy sorority girl. Um, Jamie Lee is, like, the teacher. Yeah. Well, so she's like, the house mom, right? No, she's, like, the dean of the college Oh, that I thought at. she was the house mom. No, she's the dean of the college that they're at. Um, Listen, I've seen two episodes. So, we thought it'd be fun to just kind of chat through some of our favorite scream queens. Yep. You want me to start? Yeah, go for Okay, it. cool. So... The first one on my list is Vera Farminga. Uh, I think she's probably the most well-known for her role as Norma Bates in the A&E show Bates Motel. Okay. Which, I mean, it's over now, but I remember that that was a great show to watch. So that's where I first kind of realized who she was. And obviously I didn't get that into horror until the last year or so. I mean, I had seen some stuff, but uh, she actually plays... Uh, Lorraine Warner in The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2, and Annabelle Comes Home. 
So she's got like the recurring horror role that you would identify as, you know, the Scream Queen. Obviously she's more in the heroine end rather than the damsel end, but uh while she's less of a damsel character, I mean she's more of like a modern day Scream Queen, I think just because her she has had so many different roles in the horror world that I think her I think she's a made a name for herself. Yeah, absolutely. A, like we said earlier, like, I don't know, I feel weird calling her a scream queen, but... A be, final girl. Well, she's, she, not, really she's final not even girl a final either. girl. Like she's a, like a, a leading lady in horror movies. Which, that's a better way to put what a modern day scream queen is a leading lady in horror movies. Yeah, so I, I agree. Yeah, leading lady in horror, I think is probably... I'm more that's, comfortable using that term. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of what it's become. Yeah. Which we should have talked about in the history section, but we didn't quite realize it until now. Um, it's definitely, the term Scream Queen at this point is just leading lady in horror. Yeah. Um, just so, because of the evolution of those characters. Yeah, because I mean, Final Girl doesn't even really apply anymore because, like you said, like, she's not really a Final Girl. She plays a paranormal investigator. Yeah. That's not really applicable in the situation. Yeah. Um, so, like, even the evolved term isn't really applicable to yeah. what the roles currently are for women. Yeah, exactly. But, um, so Vera was also in the movie Joshua, and she was in the first Orphan film. Um, I do also really want to quickly mention that her younger sister, uh, Tysa Fravinga, is actually really well known for her role in American Horror Story. Yeah, I know. Her exactly little who that sister is. Yeah. is huge in American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I, just to I point didn't that know out. that. I didn't make that connection. That's awesome, sisters. That is awesome. Yeah. All right, so I picked uh, Nev Campbell, and if you know me, you know my favorite horror movies are the Scream franchise, all of them. Um, so Nev Campbell, all twelve. <laughs> There's four. Fuck you. <laughs> um, she was in The Craft. I do love The Craft. And, but, like, she really rose to prominence in Scream. She played Sydney Prescott. Um, and Sydney Prescott began the series as a victim. Her mom had been raped and murdered, and she was kind of, like, living through that and was very meek and um, quiet. Mm-hmm. But through the series, um, she evolves to be a protagonist that can hold her own. So, she does hold her own in the end. She always survives. She always, like, she, there's no guy that saves her, ultimately. Yeah. Um, but she goes from a point where, like, she's defending herself to where she's actively, like, choosing to face the killer. So, by the fourth movie, she's, like, trying to save people, so, like, closing herself in a room, like, trying to actually, like, go one-on-one with the murderer, which I think is, like, a huge... Indication of how leading women in horror have progressed because mm-hmm. obviously Scream came out in the nineties, like the mid-ish nineties, and then by the time Scream Four came out, she was protecting people. Update: Lupin is now sitting on my lap because he can't chill out and he wants to drink. He's going after your mocha and cigarettes. Yep. So uh, the next one on our list is um, another more recent one, I think. Um, we're going to talk about Sherry Moon Zombie. Yeah, so she plays Baby in House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. 
So, um, <clears throat> she is, I mean, most of her acting credits are in Rob Zombie movies, which sounds really lame as we discuss it, but some of these movies are actually pretty big in the horror world. Yeah. So she, I mean, obviously her character, Baby Firefly, is in House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. And um, she's going to be in Three from Hell, which is the third installment of the House of a Thousand Corpses world. Yep. So she'll be playing Baby Firefly again in that. So, Sherry Moon, along with her co-stars, Sid Haig and Bill Mosley, um, the three of them won the award for Most Vile Villain at Spike TV's Scream Awards for their portrayal of the Firefly family in... I think they won the award for Devil's Rejects, but that character, those characters were in House of a Thousand Corpses as well. That would make sense for the Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Devil's Rejects is more... They're more villainous i would almost say so let's move on um to probably the most famous uh scream queen but really like final girl yeah final girl um we're talking about jamie lee curtis oh yeah um so jamie lee got her start as laurie strode in halloween Mm -hmm. 1979 yep um and that role is kind of what has established her as a scream queen, and she's been in so many horror movies since then. But uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like in the nineteen seventies, seventies going into the eighties, like, going into late seventies, um, we start to get the starts, same women playing different characters in different yeah, horror movies. Correct. Yeah, um, it's really funny. <laughs> thinking now of her as like a big time scream queen because like I feel like when I was a kid I only remembered her as the mom in Freaky Friday and then the woman in that. the yogurt commercials that make you shit. Yeah, yeah I was Activia. Activia. <laughs> I was gonna That's say all I knew her so from. So when you started to say that I was like Freaky Friday. She's the mom in Freaky Friday and she is yeah, I mean, the lady from the Activia commercial. Obviously when we're not live in the 70s when no. um, Halloween came out. Right. Um, but like we've seen it at this point. Oh, Halloween's probably my favorite slasher movie. We've seen it and it's like obviously it's Jamie Lee but oh, yeah. it's not what we associate her with. No. And it's interesting this like to watch what Jamie Lee has become and like what we now associate her with and know that that's where she got her start was like from horror movies because she's honestly, still before, been in so many horror but like, if you asked stuff. me if you asked me before I got into horror movies like who she was yeah the mom like, and freaky right I wouldn't have been like I, I would have been like whoa she was in horror movies what yeah. the fuck um, but that's like what she's known for yeah she's ugh, I just find that I don't know. I just find it really funny. I do too. And I also think it's great. So she was in the new Halloween. Yeah, she was. As well. She was playing Lori. And I've got some issues with the new Halloween based on the timeline and how many Halloween movies there have been in between and the fact that she's been in other Halloween movies. Like she was in H2O, which is the movie that I think everyone would rather forget existed because that movie was so bad. But they rewrote the new it. Halloween essentially is rewritten as though none of that stuff happened yes. in between. Um, okay. Jamie Lee. Freaky Friday. Trick or treat, motherfucker. 
I'm sorry, guys. We got two shots of a lord at this point. You know she was in Halloween Resurrection? Stop! Yeah. No! So, Jamie Lee Curtis has been in five Halloween movies. Uh, she played... I'm sorry. Six Halloween movies. Wait. I can't count. Hold on. One, two, three, four. Six Halloween movies. So, she played Laurie Strode in Halloween, the original, in 1979. She played Laurie Strode in Halloween 2 in 1981. She was in, in Halloween H2O 20 years later in 1998. She was in Halloween Resurrection in 2001. Trick or treat, motherfucker. Uh, she was in Halloween in 2018, so what we just talked yeah. about. And she actually had a voice role, which she was uncredited for, but she was still in it in Halloween 3 Season of the Witch in 1982. Cool. And all of that turned her somehow into being like the a, mom and freaky the Friday. mom and freaky Friday. <laughs> Beyond all of her horror stuff, she was obviously in 1983's Trading Places, and that's what she was in to try and like get rid of the horror image. Yeah, and that's why she, she didn't bring herself out of that out of cast. the trope of the typecast. Yeah, yeah, because she was also in The Fog, Prom Night, Terror Train, Escape from New York, all lots all of horrors. Yeah. Yeah. All Halloweens, lots of spooky, scary movies. Yeah, and I mean, she did a good job, though, of breaking out of that role. Yeah, because, because I mean, there are people like us that do not associate her with horror. I mean, I didn't see Halloween H2O until, I don't know, three, four months ago? Yeah. Also, that movie's real bad, so I, mean, I didn't need to see it, a lot but of sequels at the are same bad. time. Okay, here's what's fun. She was in Halloween Resurrection in 2002, and then she was in Freaky Friday in 2003. All right, so now that we've talked about the actresses behind the Scream Queen character, we thought it'd be fun to talk about um, the women behind the scenes. Yeah, women behind the scenes. Female directors of horror. Yes. Okay, so, I mean... The reason we're talking about this is um, because of Blumhouse and Jason Blum, who did Halloween last year, 2018. Um, if you don't recognize Blumhouse, you will recognize them from, or if you don't recognize the name Blumhouse, you will recognize them from all 45 Paranormal Activities. <laughs> There's basically 45 at this Insidious. Point. Um, uh, the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> the Rock. <laughs> Wait, is it The Rock or is it Vin Diesel? <laughs> we ask this every time. It's The Rock. It's Wait, is, is it, it though? It's The Rock. I just pulled up a photo. Oh. It's, it's The Rock. I love how this is a question every time Blumhouse comes up. Yeah. Um, they did The They Purge. did Dark Skies. They did The Purge. Um, Ooh, they did Get Out. They did do Get Out, and they just recently did Jordan Peele's um, new movie called Us. What does that come out technically in theaters this like week? The end of this month, I think. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, I mean, they did Black Klansmen. I didn't know that. Yeah, so they're really known for doing like low budget horror. Yeah. They put out a ton of movies, and like ninety percent of them are low budget. Yeah, like, if you look at this list, most of them are under ten million dollars. Yeah, except I mean, for the Happy Fairy. Death Day is on there. Yeah, I mean, uh, the most expensive movie they did was literally they the did Fairy. Lords of Salem with Rob Zombie. Yeah, so they did the sequel to A House of a Thousand Corpses. So looking at this list, every single movie is below ten million dollars, except for the Tooth Fairy. And I don't really know. Oh, uh, they did Glass, it, it looks yeah. like. 
Or that was over ten million dollars. Yeah, that was an so over ten do, million one. Do, but like, Glass was movies that tend to either do not like no money at all and like return nothing, or like go completely crazy and just blow up and the rate of return is insane. Yeah. I, what, did, what did we read an article about them about where they said that they'll fund as many movies as they can with the hopes of like 10%, one. Yeah. They expect 10% return and then they hope that they get one every year yeah, that blows I mean, so everything away. Paranormal activity, activity, everybody knows how huge that was. That was a $15,000 budget. So they did not actually film that. They bought that movie. Yeah, someone else filmed it and they purchased the rights. For $15,000 and it made almost $200 million. I think we talked about this in a past episode. Yeah. But that's the kind of movies that they do. But the reason this comes up is in 2018, so right around, uh, right after uh, Halloween 2018 came out, Yeah. Um, Jason Blum was doing uh, interviews. So he was asked why in the past 11 years of existence has Blumhouse never released a horror film directed by a woman. In response, he said, we're always trying to do that. We're not trying to do it because of recent events. We're, we've always been trying. There are not a lot of female directors, period, and even less who are inclined to do horror. I'm a massive admirer of Jennifer Kent, who is the Babadook director, and he said that he has apparently offered her every movie that they've had available, but she's turned him down every time. I read an article earlier today that says that she has every right to turn him down because they do movies that are less than $10 million for yeah. one. And she is amazing. And She wants to be paid more. She wants to be paid more. I get it. But I want to be paid more. Not just that, but he's offered her pre-made scripts and not paying her to create her own movie under his production house. Oh, I completely agree. If she, like her work is created by her. So she wants to direct and create her own movies. Yes. I wouldn't so, sign on. Um, that's what I've read that. about. And so later that day, at the premiere, he said... For, uh, the, at the premiere of um, the newest Halloween yes. movie. Uh, he apologized and said, Today was a great day for me because I learned a lot and because there are a lot of women out there I'm going to meet as a result of what I... Essentially what he said. And he's grateful for it. Um, he did tweet something, and I'm going to read that tweet before we get into the actual yeah. female directors. Over 50% of our audience is female. Over 50% of Blumhouse execs are women. Some of our most successful franchises are anchored by women, including the one opening today, tomorrow slash today, Halloween, led by the biggest female legend in this genre. Jamie Lee Jamie Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so, before that, he tweeted, thank you for... Everyone, for calling me out on my dumb comments in that interview. I made a stupid mistake. I spoke too quickly about a serious issue, an issue I am passionate about. So, I mean, hopefully, based on this situation, like, we do see more of these. I mean, Bloodhouse puts out a ton of movies. So, oh, hopefully, we, are, so we, we do see more women putting out horror movies under, like, a bigger date. Um, so, that being said, because of this, we actually found some articles about, or not even articles, but, like, lists of horrors movies directed by women yeah um we found something really interesting that was like a list of horror movies that directed by women that you can find streaming yeah i think we're gonna post that yeah we're gonna share this on our social media because i think it's super important that you guys have access to this list of this list yeah as a disclaimer this is from october of 2018 not 100 percent sure if it's still accurate because you know we... streaming changes every three days yep but, this but is what we found. i mean i think you these are also movies that you've got pretty easy access to as well but now we're gonna get into our list of 
or female horror directors. Yeah. Also, we're going to butcher a lot of these names because we are the worst. So um, the first one I'm going to talk about is Issa Lopez. She is a Mexican director. Um, She wrote and directed Tigers Are Not Afraid. Um, And that movie has been acclaimed by both Stephen King and Guillermo del Toro, which are huge names in horror. Oh, they're huge names in horror. Um, And uh, Guillermo del Toro announced in March of 2018 that he would be producing her next films. Awesome. So we're going to be seeing a lot more from her. Oh, that's awesome. That's super exciting. That is really exciting. I didn't realize that. Um, I want to talk about Mary Heron, who is probably most well known for directing American Psycho that came out in the year 2000. She's also done films like I Shot Andy Warhol, The Notorious Beatle Page, and The Moth Diaries. Um, But I think American Psycho, while not like your typical horror movie, I mean, I would consider her work in this genre. Yeah. So, also um, that movie's amazing. It is a good movie. I'm going to say Jodie Foster. So, most people know her as an actress. Oh, I forgot about this. But she has directed horror um, as far back as 1985. She did a segment of a... An anthology for Stephen King, um, and she has done some work on Black Mirror, um, specifically the episode Archangel. That episode spooky. Um, she's done some directorial work on Orange Is the New Black and House of Cards. Um, so she's done some horror, um, some regular directing. So my next one is, well, not a. Lindsay's never going to watch this movie because she's not a fan of this topic. Oh, God, no. Um, I want to discuss... I can't even look at that photo. Yeah, don't look at the photo. Uh, Julia Ducourneau, and I don't know that that's how you say her name, but she's probably most well-known as of right now for her work on the film Raw, the cannibal classic that has come out. In I'm literally like physically shuddering as you. Oh, I know. This. Yeah, Lindsay is like shaking and putting a hood up over her head and curling into a ball because Lindsay hates cannibals. But uh, this movie uh, was fantastic. Lindsay will never watch it, no. but which is fair. I have my fears. You have your fears. We're all good. I have my irrational fears. Yeah, I have a lot of irrational fears. Uh, this movie is incredible, and if you are not afraid of cannibals, you should absolutely watch this film um so there's Catherine hardwick she her feature film debut was 13 in 2003 um kind of like a drama um but then she portrayed her versatility with blockbusters like 2008's twilight yeah we did an episode on that um the romance horror red riding hood starring amanda seyfried yep so basically Twilight. Basically Twilight. <laughs> um, and then she has some action movies coming up in 2019. Um, the next movie I want to talk about is XX, which is an anthology series featuring uh, four films. There are The Box, The Birthday Party, Don't Fall, and Her Only Living Son. 
So these four films, not in the order that I named them, because I'm not entirely sure who directed what. I know who directed one of them, but I don't know about the other ones, because I haven't actually seen this yet. Um, so you've got Roxanne Benjamin, Karen Kusama, Annie Clark. The queen known as St. Vincent. Yes. And Jovanka Vukovic? Um, based on the name, I'd be... Yovanka, Yovanka Vukovic, Vukovic, but um, honestly, not entirely sure. We have no idea. Um, Sorry, I do know that, that. Uh, Annie Clark was the director of the segment called "The Birthday Party." Got it. I do know that. So this movie came out in two thousand and six, and I think that's pretty cool that they got four women to direct an anthology together. That's pretty cool. So the next woman I'm going to talk about is Anna Lily Amirpour. Not one hundred percent sure I said that right. Said that right. Um, but the movie she directed was called The First Iranian Feminist Vampire Romance. She did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. She did. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty famous I've seen that. Horror movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've seen it. Yeah. Um, but it's like, so, a kind of a blend of, like, horror. It's like a neo-noir. Neo-noir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... This article says that with that film, she established herself as a storyteller, tuned to both frights and emotional resonance, which I think is actually... That's a good description of that movie. Yeah, and I think that's very telling for like a horror movie, because a lot of them are just like frights. Yeah. But when you feel like an emotional pull to a horror movie, that's when like that's when I'm more scared. Oh, yeah. I think the emotional pull to a uh, movie is a lot scarier. Yes. Um... And I know we already mentioned this name, but I think it's really important that we talk about this director because of her movie, Jennifer Kent. Jennifer Kent and the Babadook. Jennifer Kent. The Babadook is probably one of the best movies, not only horror movies, one of the best movies I have ever seen. It's a great movie. It's so good. It's a good. great movie. It's very, it's very well done. So, I think as... The last one. The last one we should talk about. Um, so I'm going to take this one again, because I'm very enthusiastic about this one. Um, we got to talk about Mary Lambert. Yeah. And her work on the original Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery 2. Um, so if you've never seen Pet Cemetery, by the way, you... you should watch it and then you should go see the new one. Yes, so as of... It's not directed by a woman, but you should still go see it. As it's of an amazing October story. October 2018, you are able to see it on Amazon Prime. Verified, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. You I can watch one and two on Amazon Prime. Yes. Um, I mean, this was probably October 2018, so it may have been on Netflix or Hulu, but who the hell knows? Cause as of today... As of today that we are recording, we recording... The day that we are recording... The podcast that we do sometimes. Yes. Um, it's on Amazon Prime. It is on Amazon Prime. Um, but Pet Cemetery. That movie, movie. Also, I love Stephen up King. my brothers. I mean, you know I love Stephen King, so. So, I have, growing up. It's a fucked up movie. It is a fucked up movie. So, I think that concludes um, this episode. I think that, uh, I mean, I feel like we had a lot to say about yes. women and... A lot of things we would have liked to have said. 
but we thought it would be fun this year to kind of bring you into some of the things we're more interested in. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of like segues into halfway to Halloween at this point. Yeah, because I mean, obviously starting next episode, we're going to start chatting some more about some Halloween adjacent things. Yeah, spooky adjacent things. Spooky adjacent things. Um, But stay tuned for our post about the horror directed by women. Yeah. That you can find streaming as of October 2018. Yes. This was a fun one. This was a fun one. Uh, We hope you guys learned a lot. And I know we learned in researching a lot about this. Yep. And throughout this entire month. And if you want to hear more about this topic or you want us to do more like women-centered episodes, let us know. Yeah, let us know. We love doing research on women things and becoming more educated and up to date on yeah, absolutely. things like this. So let us know if you'd like us to do more women-centered episodes like this. So for Sober Thoughts this week, Lindsay found a really interesting article that we want to talk more about. Um, it's called How Jennifer's Body Went From a Flop in 2009 to a Feminist Cult Classic Today. This is on Vox.com. Came out Halloween... Halloween-ish last 2018. year. 2018. Oh, yeah, Halloween 2018. So, um, obviously, at this point, it's been 10 years since Jennifer's Body came out. It came mm-hmm. out in 2009. Yep. Um, it flopped and was, quote-unquote, declared dead on arrival. I it had a movie. 44% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 34% audience rating. Oof. Really? Yeah. Oof. So if you know anything about Jennifer's Body, um, it was written um, by Diablo Cody, who wrote Juno. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it was written by her who wrote Juno and stars Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. Um, this article basically talks about how essentially right after... This movie came out not too long after Juno, not too long after Diablo Cody uh, won an Oscar for Juno, and she was considered a gimmicky one-hit wonder with, like, her made-up slang and, like, her... Yeah. And Megan Fox was considered a vapid Maxim cover girl. Well, because she was in the Transformers movies. Yes, this actually says, best qualified to wash a car in a bikini in the Transformers movies. (laughs) Jesus. So... When the movie came out, what this article says is that there was a ready-made narrative waiting for it. Is that the script was trying too hard, it was too sexualized, or wasn't sexy enough. Um, it so was there was, it couldn't be one or the other. It couldn't be. It was one or the other, but they had it ready for both. Yeah. So it couldn't win either way. Yeah. Um, and it was a trashy, empty B-movie with delusions of grandeur. So the Chicago Tribune called the whole thing a gruesome, paint-by-numbers succubus story oof the av club described it as clever for its own sake a showy piece of writing that doesn't have an all-important ballast of sincerity oof yikes um gotta gotta stop saying oof every other (laughs) word this article is a big oof so roger ebert was one of the nicer reviews um we gave it a three star review and uh he didn't think it was interesting or important um he said as a a movie about a flesh-eating cheerleader it's better than it has to be um so while we're on that topic though um there's another article by vice.com that talks about how roger ebert glosses over some of the more important elements and treats it as twilight for boys um he refers to her as some kind of demon or monster sort of undefined whose mission in life becomes attacking teenage boys 
Uh, this article talks about how the attack on Jennifer is one of the film's most powerful and uncomfortable scenes because there's no sexual assault. Yeah. But there's clear imagery because she asks the members of the band if they're uh, rapists. If they're rapists. And what happens next is a clearly pr- a casual practiced sacrifice of, sacrifice of her. Um, and they're cracking jokes and just making it out to be very lighthearted that they're killing a human. And um, it's... It's very, like, reminiscent of a rape scene. It is, but they're not raping her. And she cries and begs for mercy. And um, in a kind of a funny, like, horror movie style. That's one of the darkest moments is that scene. Yeah. So now, ten years later, nine years at the time of this article, the New York Times actually listed this movie as a great horror movie directed by a woman. Um, And the Telegraph calls it, Diablo Cody's um, oddest and most intriguing moment. And uh, it's interesting to see, like, if this movie had come out at this point, like, during the Me Too movement, and a lot of... I think it would have been received totally differently. I, I agree. Especially right now with, I mean, like, we've talked about, like, yeah. the prevalence of women in horror. Yeah, so um, there's someone here, uh, the horror geek life, I'm not quite sure what that is, says, I'm sure that if the film opened today, it would be a sleeper hit. As it is, one day they'll be teaching it at the intersections of cinema studies, film theory, and women's studies. Refinery29 says, viewing the film nearly a decade after its release feels like experiencing the beginning of something that hadn't quite taken form yet. Yeah. Which is, I think, probably the best way to put it. I agree. It was, it's a very sleeper feminist movie where, like, in 2009 you didn't realize how much feminism was in that movie. You thought, like... I remember a lot of people going into it being like, I'm going to see this because I heard Megan Fox was naked in it at some point. I heard people went into it because it's got, like, the trailer gives off, like, lesbian vibes. Right. So I knew a ton of guys that wanted to go see that. Right. Which is um, but sad, like, but... But watching it now, it's very different. And, like, oh, absolutely. It's very true. It feels like experiencing something that hadn't quite taken form yet and now has taken form and it's relevant again because of that. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's all, um, I mean, I really have to say on this last... All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, which I mean, we both did. (laughs) We both enjoyed doing it. Um, Please go online and give us a five star rating. Go give some review. We know that you guys are out there listening and you're not reviewing us. So please go review us. Give us comment on our stuff. Tell your friends about us. Cool. See you next time. That was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No ant. And as always, I'm Lindsay. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.